Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> ah, hello there. So wonderful to see you return yet again to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we have a curious item. If you'll step over here into the gallery alcove, as we have a collection of art. Now, these are by an unknown artist. It is a collection of works depicting various spiderweb designs. If you look at the intricacy of the lines, you would almost think that they were pieces of spider silk imprinted on a canvas, each design more intricate than the previous one, as the artist depicts the beauty in the diabolical. For as we know, each and every web's sole design is to catch its fly and allow the spider to devour it. And therein lies the essence of today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at the new film, Cobweb. So I use the term new film a, a little bit loosely. I'm paying, playing a little fast and loose with that uh, because this movie actually came out in July and it just so happens that it came out the same weekend as Barbie and Oppenheimer. So Barbenheimer, its first casualty, other than the pocketbooks of, of moviegoers all around the world, uh, was the movie Cobweb. Because one, the movie got sort of a limited release and there were a lot of theaters, my own hometown theater included, that just didn't show the movie. I mean, you had Barbie and Oppenheimer come out at the same time. You're still on the high of Indiana Jones and Mission Impossible. Uh, I know my movie theater was still playing those. Hell, my movie theater was still playing Transformers Rise of the Beast, trying to suck every every drop of milk out of that teat. <laughs> and, and, and understandably so, because, you know, movie theaters uh, aren't doing as well as they used to pre-COVID. I can understand, you know, they're trying to get the the biggest names out there, the biggest blockbusters out there, good, bad, or indifferent, to try and get people to come out to, and come to the movie theater. So, like I said, uh, my particular movie theater played a lot of big movies. It had the two big movies at the time, Barbie and Oppenheimer, and there was just no room for poor little Lionsgate film, Cobweb. And, and I also have to say, uh, Lionsgate didn't do Cobweb any favors. This movie really didn't get a lot of press. It didn't get a lot of promotion. I saw the trailer probably online somewhere, and and I liked it. the The trailer it hooked me right away because you know, had these two creepy parents, this little kid, child in suspense, uh, parents that you're not sure what sort of you know are they are they good parents? Are they to have some diabolical intent? And of course, Anthony Starr and Lizzie Kaplan just. Uh, really, uh, just what you saw in the trailer looked that part where you just didn't know what their what their intentions were, and and it just really the the trailer one of the better trailers out there that I've seen recently because it created a mystery, it created intrigue, didn't give too much away in the story, 
and didn't give too many. I mean, it had one big scare that it kind of gave away in the trailer, but you didn't even get the totality of it. So I really liked the trailer. The trailer really hooked me, and I saw it the one time and didn't watch it again because I wanted to see this movie. And that's probably, I mean, outside of going and looking up the trailer, that's probably the last time I saw the trailer was, you know, earlier in the year when I heard this movie was coming out, and I was kind of doing some research as to what movies I'd be talking about in the in the coming months. So Lionsgate, from a promotional standpoint, didn't do this movie any favors. And they also didn't do this movie any favors, much like The Last Voyage of the Demeter, which we talked about on Monday's episode. Both of these movies, The Last Voyage of the Demeter and Cobweb, both should have been October releases. These both are, are scary movies that should have been released just before Halloween. Uh, you know, early October to give people some time to watch it leading up to Halloween. But, you know, early to mid-October, this movie should have came out. Same with Last Voyage of the Demeter. There's no reason why this should have been released in July and August. Because, I mean, August is kind of like the February of summer where studios that don't have faith in films dump their movies that uh, they're, they're not sure they're going to do well. Uh, you know, it's it's too late to be a summer blockbuster. It's too early to hit the holiday craze. And both of these movies, Last Voyage of the Demeter and Cobweb, just kind of got dumped at the end of summer. Now, I know Cobweb came out in July, but it was later in July. And a lot of theaters didn't carry it because of Oppenheimer and Barbie. And because it was a quasi-limited run. And it wasn't until it just came out on Video On Demand here late last week, early this week, I can't remember when the exact release date was, that I actually got to watch it. And once I found out, I couldn't drop my money on Amazon Prime quick enough to watch this on Video On Demand. But it just shows the, the fact that they released this movie, much like The Last Voyage of Demeter, uh, late summer, right around August, because both of those studios didn't have any faith in these movies and that's a shame because these have been two of the best horror movies to come out this year. Now, I know we've still got October and October has a lot of stuff uh, coming, you know, horror wise that we're looking forward to. But at this point, two of the best horror movies out and I have to give the edge of these two movies. And this is no slam on The Last Voyage of the Demeter because I really liked that movie. Had some flaws, but I really liked it. Loved it even. I'll go as far as to say that I loved that movie. I thought it was a really good horror movie. Uh, set a lot of tone and intention and suspense. And it was a good creature feature. But man, Cobweb to me, at this point, best horror movie I've seen this year. I don't think that's a hot take. I think a lot of people that have seen it might agree with me. If they don't agree that it's the best horror movie that's come out this year, I would have to say they would think it's one of the better ones to come out this year, at the very least. And we'll get into all the nuts and bolts of that. But one of the best horror movies, if not the best horror movie to come out this year, and probably one of the scariest Again, if not the scariest movie I've seen this year. This movie had some really creepy scenes that made me jump. And they weren't just cheap jump scares. They were good jump scares. And made me jump just by the sheer fact of, of how horrific the scene was built. And the visuals of the scene. The dream sequence in this. Probably one of the scariest scenes I've seen in a long time. So I have to say, uh, if you haven't watched Cobweb, go watch it because we're going to get into some spoiler territory, but it's 
a wonderful movie. Uh, director Samuel Bowden, awesome job directing uh, from writer Chris Thomas Devlin, who did the Texas Chainsaw Massacre reboot. And I, I loved that movie. Uh, I don't care what anyone else says. I thought that was a really good movie. And, you know, it, it put the massacre back in Texas Chainsaw Massacre with that fucking bus scene. I just, I absolutely love that scene. And I, I really like that movie. So you got a, a writer who has a track record, or at least one movie that he's written that is really good. And he's continued it with Cobweb. And then, of course, a wonderful cast. Speaking of The Last Voyage of the Demeter, you had Woody Norman, who plays Peter in this he was the the kid on last voyage of the demeter awesome job uh, lizzie kaplan anthony Starr, fantastic work uh, cleopatra coleman did a really good job with with her character and if you like horror movies if you like scary movies if you like creepy movies especially set around halloween and that definitely have a halloween vibe check out cobweb it's available on demand video on demand uh, wherever you happen to watch your video on demand. Like I said, I just happen to watch mine on Amazon Prime, but definitely worth the few shekels you're going to have to put down to watch it. And this is going to be a movie that I will watch again and again. It was that kind of a movie. And it definitely... Uh, well, I, I won't talk about that. I'll, I'll save that for the spoilery section. Go watch it if you haven't. Come back and then hear my thoughts on what I think about this movie. So uh, until you come back, unless you don't care about spoilers, then all bets are off. And if you have watched the movie, uh, we're going to talk about some spoilers, talk about what I thought about some of the scenes and some of the things that that I really enjoyed about Cobweb. So from here on out, there are going to be spoilers. Now, one of the things I really liked about this movie, and I know Samuel Bowden uh, talked about this in some interviews I saw, is that the story is quite simple. It's this eight-year-old boy, Peter. He's investigating this, these mysterious knocks in his house uh, that are coming from inside the walls. And uh, it uh, reveals a dark secret that his parents are keeping from him. It's simply put, and it's a simple concept. And that's one of the things I really liked about this movie. And I've, I've said this time and again on the show that... Uh, some of the best horror movies have the simplest premises. You've got this little kid. He's got what seem to be normal parents, but they have these weird rules and they just keep getting weirder and weirder like they're hiding something from him until the secret is out. And when the secret gets out, it's more horrifying than you could ever imagine. And like I said, the the actors that they got to portray these, these parents and this child were wonderful casting choices. We talked about Woody Norman just briefly in the last Voyage of the Demeter podcast. And and I really liked that he got a little... I mean, he had some, some good moments in Last Voyage of the Demeter, but he wasn't the sole focus of the movie. Where in this... The Peter character is in almost, if not every scene of the movie. He really has to to carry a lot of uh, emotional weight and just script weight on his shoulders. Uh, Woody Norman does. And he does a really good job with this character. I likened this kind of to the movie Antlers. Based on the Nick Antosca short story. I believe it's The Quiet Boy. But it's very much that kind of story. Which I, I, I don't know why I'm drawn to stories like this. I guess I just have a soft spot in my heart for for lonely little kids because, you know, at times growing up, I felt like that. But he's this lonely, awkward little kid that's bullied in school 
and the teacher played by uh, Cleopatra Coleman, uh, Miss Divine, she notices and kind of takes a, a liking to this kid and is kind of looking out for him. And that's very much how the, the movie Antlers goes. Even so much that Miss Divine shows up at the house, much like the uh, the Carrie Russell character in Antlers showed up at the kid's house. But Woody Norman does a really good job with this character because he does play the the range of emotions that little kids go through. I mean, little kids are, are, are emotional beings. And, you know, we were, we were all that at one point. You know, you go from being the happiest you've ever been when you're everything's good and you get uh, you get a new toy. And you go for to the saddest you've ever been when you've lost that toy. Or you are, are the most scared you've ever been when you realize you left that toy in the, the, the cold, dark, damp basement and you have to go get it. Uh, because mom won't go down and get it for you. Uh, there's just a range of emotions that all kids go through, and Woody Norman does a really good job with that. I heard a, an interesting tidbit from him in an interview where he talked about how he doesn't go through his emotions. He doesn't look in the mirror and, and do his scared face. Uh, he doesn't really try to inform uh, what he's going to do as an actor in a scene until until right before, when they're kind of doing their, their prep work and rehearsing the scene and then he kind of finds the character there that way when he's doing it on the camera when they're filming it is as close to the first time he's experiencing it it's those raw emotions and I thought that was an interesting take and it you know very much uh, played into the childhood aspect of this character and and that all those raw emotions you know he played the sad little kid that's being bullied he played the inquisitive yet scared nature of these knocks on the wall when he finally gets brave enough to to start knocking back and and answering the voice that starts to come from behind the wall it was one of the most heartbreaking scenes when when they're painting these pumpkins in school and the teacher tells him that his is her favorite and just that look of pride and joy on his face. And then when that little shithead bully comes by Brian and trips him and, and he falls and, and he start in his pumpkin breaks and the kid starts stepping on the pumpkin and the just the abject sadness of, of this thing he took pride in doing and felt really proud of being destroyed. It just... Uh, it, it was one of the most heartbreaking scenes, and to me, that was one of the best scenes uh, Woody Norman did. I mean, he did a lot of great scenes, and most every scene he was in, he was fantastic. But that, to me, was such a tearjerker, and it was all because of how he played it. And like I said, I, I love this kid. I loved him in Last Voyage of the Demeter, and... Even though this movie, he did this first. This was actually his first horror film. Last Voyage of the Demeter was next. I saw this one actually second, and I'm glad I did. It felt like, you know, I got a little taste of them from Demeter, but uh, I got the, the full entree in Cobweb. And then, of course, a, a couple other actors. Not, not a huge cast in this for us to talk about, so I'm not going to waste a whole lot of time talking about actors, uh, but I do want to mention Lizzie Kaplan and Anthony Starr as Carol and Mark, Peter's parents. Of course, uh, Lizzie Kaplan, for horror fans, probably know her from Cloverfield, play, played Marlena. She did a wonderful job as a younger Annie Wilkes in the second season of Castle Rock. Was just blown away by her performance there. Pulling off that Kathy Bates, Annie Wilkes accent and, and mannerisms 
did a wonderful job as that. And just a, a ton of other great uh, movies and TV shows to her credit. But uh, Anthony Starr also in this as the dad. And of course, you know him from The Boys. Uh, a wonderful actor that if I see him in something, I, I want to watch it. And that's one of the first things that drew me to Cobweb when I saw Anthony Starr was in this. I was like, oh, Anthony Starr is in this. It's a horror movie. I've got to watch that. But they do a really good job as these parents because when you first meet them, they just seem like loving, maybe a little overprotective, but loving, caring parents. And then the more they interact with Peter and the more you, uh, you know, he wants to go trick-or-treating and wants to dress up for Halloween and they won't let him. And it's because a little girl down the street a few years ago uh, disappeared on Halloween. Uh, just uh, everything just starts to like the dominoes start to fall. And the more they interact with Peter, the stranger they get. And the more uh, menacing they get. Anthony Starr kind of has that Homelander vibe in this. Where, you know, he's smiling to your face. But, you know, it, it feels like he's gritting his teeth behind those those curled lips. And it's certainly one of those movies where, like, just every scene, once things start ramping up... And the tension starts escalating. It's one of those movies where like every scene he's in, you're just expecting him to snap and and do something horrible. And it was just a, a wonderful performance. Both him and Lizzie Kaplan. Just great. She plays that kind of neurotic uh, mom who is constantly locking doors and fretting over her son. You can tell she loves her son. But then when he disobeys her, she like flips the switch and it's almost like a Jack Torrance vibe about her where she's all all good and dandy until it's time to take your medicine sort of thing kicking in. But again, really loved both of these actors as these parents. And then the kind of twist at the end that, uh, you know, Anthony Starr's character Mark has this line about how parents have to do things to uh, protect their children and you don't really get that until the very end and you realize all the things they were doing was to protect Peter they just had a really weird and overbearing and borderline abusive way of enforcing that it's a very twisted movie and and that's one of the the twisted aspects of it that just makes it so great but one more actress we're going to talk about cleopatra coleman she plays the teacher miss divine now she's an actress that i i seen her i recognized her but i haven't really watched a lot she was in she was in that movie infinity pool which i, I just never got to watch it's on hulu i'll probably watch it here sooner or later it looked like an interesting enough movie but uh, she's also going to be in that new movie coming out rebel moon which is essentially a Zack snyder star wars movie without it actually being a star wars movie but i'm excited to see her in that because i thought she did a really good job with this character not a ton of screen time but she does have a few scenes with uh, Woody Norman that I really like. She did play that that caring and concerned teacher that is kind of taking a an awkward outsider student under her wing and has become a little protective of her. He, you know, she feels like a more of a mother figure than Peter's actual mother. And then when it comes to that climax where she's going to 
to check on him to see if he's okay because uh, Peter made that call to her and and said he needed help. And, you know, you see those motherly instincts. It's never established that she's a mom. Uh, she is Miss Divine, so you assume that she's uh, not married. I think they do that to imply that she doesn't have a kid. Not that, you know, being unmarried uh, precludes you from, from having kids. But, uh, but I think they were going for the fact that, you know, she didn't have kids and... It was kind of a, a surrogate mother, surrogate child sort of situation. And those maternal instincts of hers kind of kicked in. And even though she could have just ran and called the police, she did everything she could to protect Peter. And and Cleopatra Coleman did a really good job with that. She did a great job with the sweet, tender moments with Peter. She did a great job with the stand up, you puff your chest out, and you're ready to take on all comers to protect this child. And just did a wonderful job with both aspects of this character but all the creepiness all the weird things and we'll get into some of the things like visually that, that i thought were interesting about a lot of these scenes uh, but it all leads up to this climax where you've got peter who's hearing these knocks behind the walls he hears this voice this voice starts telling him to do uh, things kind of manipulating him although he doesn't see that and it's it's this voice tells him that he, she is his sister and the parents have trapped her in a closet and she's in the walls and that sooner or later they're going to get tired of Peter and put him in the wall. They're going to kill her and put him in the wall. And it, it's just, it's typical manipulation. And, and you don't see it at first. You, you wonder if Maybe she's telling the truth because the parents are acting weird. They are acting sinister. Uh, you don't trust the parents at all. And then when you kind of get to that climax point where she convinces him to poison his parents' soup with the rat poison that smells like cinnamon and that slow, uh, what's what did you do different with the soup? And the mother's like, ah, didn't do anything different. And it smells like cinnamon. And Anthony Starr remembering back, they don't flash back to it, but you can see the gears turning in his head where he showed Peter the, the rat poison. And then Peter mentioned that it smelled like cinnamon and that kind of, oh, and, and then that that's where like shit just starts going down the puking up the the black ooze blood whatever it is was disgusting that it you know kind of going back to the shining the mother uh carol and that little chase scene up the stairs where she's chasing uh, peter with the knife very jack torrance in the shining it felt a little abrupt but when the the bully brian brings his like older cousin and his friends, or maybe it's older cousins, who knows, but they they bring them to the house to, they're going to try and exact revenge on Peter because Peter pushed Brian down the stairs. I, it, it all seems a little, maybe slightly shoehorned in. The idea that these these four teenagers are come and beat the shit out of what is he going to beat the shit out of the kid in front of his parents, not expect them to do anything. What are they going to beat the shit out of the parents too? I, I, the motivation there, it's a little bit of a stretch. But when they come into the house, and and it very much felt like a let the right one in sort of vibe, where you've got this bully who finally has the kid he's bullying, the victim, fight back. And, and hurt him, uh, much like the, the pull to the face and let the right one in. Uh, I'm talking about the, the real version, not that 
bastardized American version. But uh, but then the the bully gets his older brother involved to try and torture the kid even more. And it just kind of felt like that. But I, I get why they did it. You needed a body count with a movie like this. And this provided just the body count. And the, the way they did some of these kills were just disgusting. The kid getting pulled under the piano and ripped in half. Uh, the other kid kind of grabbed from, from behind a doorway and just flying all over the place was gross. The kid that got beheaded and then his body kind of walks out and then collapses. Again, a little bit of suspension of disbelief is needed for the logistics and the physics of all that and the physicality of all that, but it made for a great effing scene. I, I tell you what, the... Gross factor was cranked up to 11 and the the cool factor was cranked up to 11 on this scene because for a monster movie and that's when, you know, that third act is when this turns into a monster movie. Up until this point, I thought, well, maybe the voice Peter's hearing in the wall is a ghost. I thought, well, maybe this is the ghost of that little girl down the street that they said was killed. And it's going to be something where the parents are the ones that killed the little girl. And then when we realized that the voice that we're hearing is Peter's sister, I thought, well, okay, maybe, maybe they killed her as well or something happened and and she died you know it, it really kind of felt like a big setup for a ghost story uh you know it seemed probable and plausible in this day and age in horror movies put a good bet down on it's being a ghost but it wasn't it was his actual sister and i love how they do the reveal when she puts peter down in that pit when you think she's one and she kind of tells the story about how she was born like this and you don't get a great look at her face because it's dark and there's a lot of bits in this movie that are dark and necessarily so but I liked it because you didn't get a great look at her face, but you got enough of a look at her face to know that she is hideous and and monstrous. And that she didn't befriend Peter to help him out, to save him from their parents. She wanted him to let her out so he could kill her parents and she could kill him because she resents him. He was the child they kept. She was the child they locked away because she was a monster. And it, it again, it's another little bit of a stretch because being in the walls, she learned to climb. And that's how she kind of does this thing where she climbs on the walls. You know, it's nothing we haven't seen in horror movies lately. They've been doing that a lot over the years. But it still wasn't overdone, I don't think. It still looked cool and creepy. And she very much had a spider-like sense about her movements when she's crawling and her long hair is flipping and flopping and, and lowering down. And, uh, you know, I think that's kind of where they're, they're getting the name from. You know, she's in the walls with all these spiders and the cobwebs and stuff like that. And she kind of moves around like a spider. Her hair is like a tangle of cobwebs. Uh, it, it's not over. It's not one of those things where they say the name of the movie and you're like, oh, they just they just said the name. I hate movies like that. It's funny when they do it sometimes, but other times it's like, oh, Jesus. So they didn't come right out and say it, but that's kind of, I think, where they're they're going with this. But but she is this monster and she's let loose on the house and she's killed all these uh, teenagers and and even uh, little bully Brian. Uh, 
probably I should feel some sort of remorse for for little Brian meeting his untimely end. But the character was a little asshole and pretty much got what he deserved. And of course, uh, the little bully Brian actually played by Luke Busey, the son of actor Gary Busey. But yeah, after the bloodbath, Miss Divine comes and, and it all kind of culminates in this, this basement pit that the parents originally had uh, Sarah, the, the daughter, the monster daughter, uh, they had her in this before they put her in the, essentially a cage in the wall. She has that line where first they put her in a pit, then they put her in a cage. But it all culminates with that fight scene between her and Miss Divine, and Peter gets out, and, the, and it really ultimately ends up, it was a lot of exposition on why she was the way she was, why she was doing what she was doing to Peter, and, and it culminated with them trapping her in the pit. And it ended with that creepy line about how every time he goes to sleep, he's going to be wondering if she's lurking there. Every time he hears a knock, he's going to be wondering if it's her. Essentially alluding to that she's going to get out eventually and come for Peter. And we might get a sequel out of this. I would think that would be pretty cool if we did get a sequel out of this. Because I think it's one of those movies where I I hope there's a sequel if they don't wreck it. But uh, if it's not going to be up to the standards or go above and beyond what this movie did, then then don't do it. Don't mess with it. Leave it open-ended and leave you wondering because that was a very chilling end to this movie. As she's saying those lines about, you know, him constantly wondering, we kind of get a a flash forward or at least visions of the future where Miss Divine is now adopted Peter or at least taking care of him and he is with her and we see what she's saying playing out all the him not knowing if it's her lurking in the shadows ready to get him. And I do like when movies do that from time to time where they leave an ending kind of open-ended like that to to make you wonder where things went next. We know the story's not over. We don't necessarily need to see the next chapter play out. Uh, it leaves the mind to wonder and imagine what what could uh, become of this story. And and I don't think that's a bad thing. But if they did do a sequel, uh, like I said, I would definitely watch it because I really loved this first movie. Now, the one thing I will say is that this climax really hit early and then it felt like it drug out a little bit towards the end uh, when you go from from that climax of those teens being killed and the initial interaction between the monster Sarah and, and Miss Divine and then it goes down into the basement pit scene and it, it feels like it's a little later and it just it felt like it it drug out a little there at the end not in time it didn't feel like oh god this movie's still going on but it felt like okay here was this big climax of this big uh, kill scene this big massacre scene and then oh well that's not the end there's there's still a little bit more uh that's i mean there again a, a minor critique which i can forgive because like i said that pit scene was was really interesting and gave us a little context as to what's going on and who this character is and the motivation and stuff like that that we we only kind of speculated to a certain point throughout the movie as we saw her manipulating Peter into doing all these things, pushing Brian down the stairs, killing his parents. Uh, that, you know, we, we supposed what was going on there, but this really kind of sealed the deal. 
And not in a, I mean, it was exposition. It was a lot of exposition, but it was done. Uh, it was done Bond villain style, but I still enjoyed it because it's this creature, this person that has been locked away for years and they want their victim to know that they're coming for them and let them know what all they did to manipulate them and and why they're manipulating them and why they're after them because you know he was the child they wanted she was the child they locked away and and I was okay with all that exposition it still worked within the character and within the movie I I thought it was done quite well and and I'm not a huge fan of just exposition information dumps but like I said ultimately this was a a wonderful movie and wonderfully done from top to bottom. Like I've talked about the actors and the actresses. I mean, they all did a really good job, but Samuel Bowden uh, did a really fantastic job with this. And this, I believe, is his feature film directorial debut. Now, you might know him for all you uh, horror fans out there, that Netflix series that was inexplicably canceled off. I, I don't know why, but it was a French series, Marianne. Scary as F. Uh, one of my favorite shows to ever come out on Netflix. And much like another one, 1899, uh, Marianne, much like that, canceled after one season. Archive 81's another one. Love that series. And canceled inexplicably after one season. But Marianne was scary and creepy and had tons of atmosphere and some really creepy effects and uh i i loved that series and samuel bowden was a part of that he created the series he was one of the writers on it he directed it and really he had his hands all over that and when you realize that and you think back on marianne you really pick up a lot of of the things that you know he he learned in making that in this, just uh, a master at creating tension and atmosphere and creating a sense of dread and a sense of doom. And so, you know, you got a lot of scares in this, but it wasn't just a bunch of jump scares. You got a lot of frightening atmosphere and tension built up that that really caused the scares. And you didn't need to rely on jump scares. That's not to say there weren't some. Uh, that's dream sequence that Peter has was one of the scariest scenes I've seen in a movie this year, at least this year. But it was creepy and scary. And while they gave away a little bit of that jump scare in the trailer, didn't affect the the scariness of that jump scare in the context of the movie because it's so much more because you build up so much tension with that and anticipation with the way they did that scene and playing with light and darkness uh, that it, it was it was a frightening scene and that was another thing that I really liked about this is the way the cinematography and the way Samuel Bowden directed this in so much as the look of it. It just had a creepy, eerie look. This house was old and dilapidated. Uh, they had the the pumpkin patch, the huge pumpkin patch in the backyard, which is eerie and very odd. And it just added a creepiness and an uneasiness about the whole thing. And then, of course, from a visual standpoint, there was a lot of really cool shots uh, that 
Bowden did. A lot of stuff playing with light and shadow and light and darkness and empty dark spaces that was really cool and creepy. That's scene where Peter's on the stairs and his parents are fighting in the room opposite the stairs and you get the light from that room shining on Peter on the staircase and all you see is that light and then the silhouette of his parents shadow cast against that staircase and him sitting there it was just it was beautiful and ominous and eerie and just a wonderful scene there's a lot of scenes like that where he played light and shadow where he played light and dark doorways or dark empty spaces that was just creepy and and like I said added an eerie uneasy feeling and an ominous feeling to the whole movie and then there's a lot of cool shots a lot of cool push-ins with the camera uh, a lot of shots that just lingered and I think that's one of the one of the keys to being a good horror director is having that instinct to just linger on a shot a little longer than you normally would or you normally should. Uh, it, it's those sorts of shots that really kind of build that anticipation and build that tension that, that you need in horror. And, and Bowden has great instincts when it comes to things like that. And they did a lot of really cool things with the set. Now, you go inside this house and you or inside the house on this movie, you would think was a, an actual house, but it was built on a set. And they did some really cool shots where you know they're filming Peter's room but the camera is outside of the room set and it's almost like uh I've heard it described as like a dollhouse effect and I've heard him mention how you know the camera outside you almost get a little black vignette look around the edge of of this bedroom set and it like I said it almost looks like you're looking inside of dollhouse watching this and and I know he talked about how they built the sets slightly larger than they should be so you really feel as a viewer like you are in Peter's point of view like you were a child in this set with Peter and I thought that was a really interesting way to go about this and it just added kind of a just a little like this something's not quite right vibe to it like the staircase is just a little bigger than it should be and and the rooms are just a little bigger than they should be and and so much care and so much artistry was put into to this from the set builders and designers to the uh cinematography from philip lozano and, and from the direction and the of the vision of Samuel Bowden, you know, after finding out that he did the show Marianne and, and seeing what he's done with this, this guy has an amazing horror career ahead of him, a amazing film career ahead of him. But, but I think especially, I hope we get to keep him in horror because he's doing some really scary stuff. And like I said, this is probably one of, if not the scariest movie I've seen thus far. And, I'm going to be hard-pressed. I mean, we're going to have to have some really scary shit come out in October, getting ready for Halloween, for me to take that back and say this isn't the scariest movie I've seen this year because uh, as of right now, this is this is hands down the scariest movie of 2023. And it is a sin that Lionsgate dumped it in July and a video on demand in August uh, to sin that they did that and didn't give this movie the respect it deserved and put it in October where 
people people want to see movies like this. I mean, this movie is set on Halloween, uh, much like Voyage of the Demeter. This is a that's a Dracula movie that should be in fucking October, not in the in the early August. I just I, I don't understand why these studios lack faith in the projects that they have because. Because it's not a big IP that's it's already established with tons of sequels. Even though Dracula is uh, a very, uh, I mean, it's one of the hugest IPs out there. But you know, we haven't had a really Dracula Dracula movie in a long time. Uh, so I, I, I guess they probably don't consider that IP enough for them. But you know, these movies should have been in October, and both of them I think were done a disservice by putting them out in in fucking July and August. But like I said, this was a, a fantastic movie and just had so many great scenes, and it was a chilling movie. I mean, uh, for so many different reasons, you know, chilling what's happening with Peter and the knocks and the voices coming from the wall, chilling when he he kills his parents, chilling when his mother's lying dying and she she warns him not to let her out talking about Sarah and you're like, "Oh, oh god, what what did he just do? What what is manipulating him?" uh to the scene where Sarah has him captured and in, in, in that pit in the basement and what she's going to do to him and and then the visuals, the creature design the the look of the set the props and things like that it was beautiful to look at and of course the wonderful direction and writing uh i think chris thomas devlin is another screenwriter that is probably not getting enough credit uh because i think he's got two really solid movies under his belt that i really enjoyed in the texas chainsaw massacre from last year and cobweb this year much like I'm really looking forward to seeing what movies come out next from Samuel Bowden, I'm really excited to see what movies Chris Thomas Devlin is is writing next, and hopefully it's it's more horror. So if you haven't seen Cobweb, I encourage you to go see it. If you were like me and you couldn't see it in the movie theater because fucking Barbie and Oppenheimer. Although I do want to see Oppenheimer, Barbie I could care less about. Uh, but I have a feeling my wife might make me go see it with her. Uh, so I may not even escape the clutches of Barbie, which that's that's a horror movie in and of itself for me personally. But at any rate, uh, I know a lot of people didn't get to watch this in the theaters. If you did, lucky for you. If you didn't, it is on video on demand. So I encourage you to go spend the money and watch it. And, and like I've said before, uh, if you haven't gone to see Last Voyage of the Meter in the theater, don't wait till it comes out on fucking streamy. I, you know, I, I listen to some of these people. They wonder why we don't get good horror movies. And when then good horror movies come out, uh, they don't go and support them in the theater. Uh, it's like they're agoraphobic or something. Not any offense if you are agoraphobic, but if you're not and you're just a, a little bee and not wanting to go out to watch movies in the movie theater because it's too expensive or what have you, uh, quit being a little bitch about it and go drop the money and go support these movies in the theater. Even if you have to go see a matinee. But when these movies don't make their budget back, and really the litmus test for movies doing well is how well they do in the theater. Uh, don't bitch and whine because you don't get good horror movies coming out in the theaters. So go watch Last Voyages of Demeter. Rent Cobweb Video On Demand. Two really great horror movies. Two really good horror movies that I think are going to be well worth the money you spend. If you like horror, I think you're going to enjoy both of these. But uh, especially since we happen to be talking about Cobweb on this episode, uh, go check it out. And both wonderful performances by Woody Norman.
So I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on Cobweb. Go check it out and check out what's going on with Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on our Facebook page. We're always posting trailers and articles I find all over the internet. like to add my two cents as well. Check us out on Instagram where we're posting memes and, and we're always posting what's coming up as far as the latest episodes. Uh, so check all that out on our social media sites. Uh, wherever you listen to this podcast, please like, follow, subscribe to it, whatever you're going to do, whatever your particular uh, podcast platform of choice likes to call it. Do that so you get updates on when the new episodes drop. And of course, leave those reviews. Five stars would be awesome, but whatever review you leave, we do appreciate that. And of course, Share this podcast, you know, with anyone that loves horror, fantasy, and science fiction. Help spread the word. Help us grow our numbers so we can keep doing what we're doing. So until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!